Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven, so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so, may, so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heaven and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wonderful. If you want to keep your Bibles open, that'd be great. Uh, a bit, just a bit of house admin. Um, basically, uh, wherever I go, you've got your own mission partners. You're doing fantastic stuff mission-wise throughout the world. Bless you in that. I'm not after your money. I'm not a recruiting drive for Burundi. Uh, but the guys out there have told me, to, can you get people to pray? So this thing is going to come around. There's four of them, green ones, and they'll be passing their way around. And if you've got too many emails, don't sign up yet another email. But if you want to hear some of these crazy stories on a regular basis, then could you put that at the top level? Is that right? On the top floor. So hopefully they'll, they'll make their way to all of you and uh, pass on if you don't want it. But those stories are inspiring that I shared, aren't they? And they're happening all the time. And basically, sometimes we just sat at our desk or whatever, and you know, the faith levels of, mm, it's a bit of a struggle. And then poof, you get this story, and it's like, yes, God's still on his throne, and I can be a part of it. So, and the benefit we get out of it, I'm still alive because you pray, or not you, but maybe now you. Uh, as in, people around the world have prayed for us for 20 years. I've driven along a road, 40 people got killed, I got through. And a guy comes to my house with a grenade to blow me up, he didn't manage. Uh, you know, lots of, lots, of, lots of crazy stuff has taken place. So I'd love it if you did uh, buy into the prayer journey. So basically, if you want a title to talk, it is Choose Life. Choose Life. And, you know, some, some choices we make are totally inconsequential. Who gives a monkey what you had on your toast for breakfast? That doesn't matter. But what does matter is whether you choose to live by faith or by fear, whether you choose urgency or apathy, whether you choose cynicism or action. So I'm going to I'm going to fire some bullets at you this morning. Let's, let me explain what I mean. I remember being uh, listening to a gun battle just a mile away and pl playing sort of a surreal guesstimation game of how many people are dying right now just a mile away. And I guesstimated that about 100 people were dying in that 20-minute gun, gun battle with the odd RPGs and shells landing. Uh, and, and the next morning, having guessed about 100 people died, I got a tweet of the dead body. And it was the dead body. One person had died. <laughs> Of all those thousands of bullets that have been sprayed, only one bullet actually achieved its intended destructive purpose of taking life. You with me? Now, redeeming that analogy, I'm going to spray, time permitting, eight or nine <laughs> choices, bullets at you this morning. And I'm not praying that all of them hit you. I mean, they all apply to all of us. Let's say that up front. But my question to you is going to be, which bullet is for you, and what are you going to do about it? And... And please don't take more than one or two bullets on in a sense because it'll be so much challenge, we won't be able to handle it. 
But that's what I'm shooting for. So we're going to have eight or nine bullets, time permitting. And I want you to picture yourselves. I mean, basically, this passage is Moses as God's representative spokesperson addressing the people of God. So see me, in a sense, as Moses this morning. And you know, I, when I read Exodus, when I read the Old Testament, often I think, what a bunch of losers those Israelites were. I mean, they experienced the power of God, didn't they? They, they had, you know, these 10 plagues, the, the last plague me being the, you know, the blood of the land, the foreshadowing of Christ, uh, protecting them from the impending judgment, the angel of death passing over, and, and then, you know, led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and then parting of the sea, and then provision of manna and quail, and yet... The Israelites, so quickly, when things were absolutely perfect and lined up all their ducks in a row, they, they immediately slipped back into a default of uh, sort of complaining and apathy and lack of faith and trust. And I, so I think, what a bunch of losers. And then, but then actually I turn up myself and think, well, that's me. So often I take a knock and then, uh, you know, I just I want to give up or I want to settle for a, a, a tame, domesticated Jesus and I want to quit and despair creeps in and self-pity creeps in. And I think you can probably relate to that as well. So, look, there's level ground that foot the cross. And maybe be ready right now to make good choices. What's the bullet for you? So, looking at this passage, first of all, the first bullet, if you like, the first choice is, are we going to choose clarity or trust? You see, we all like to have our ducks in a row. We all like to know exactly where we're going. And the problem with that is that we end up having a faith but not living by faith. There's a massive difference. And we like for things to be crystal clear. Now, this is difficult to buy into. I'm going to call you to the life of of trust this morning, to choose trust over clarity. It's difficult, but not impossible. Verse 11 says, now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, but that would imply it's quite difficult. And it's not beyond your reach, but that would imply it's quite a stretch. So we just got to trust him. We've got to say, yes, you've got big hands, Lord. You've got the whole world in your hands. My name's engraved in the palms of your hands. You know me. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. The one who's in me is greater than the one who's in the world. I can trust you with my whole heart. I don't need to know, lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, if I acknowledge me, you will make my path straight. I'm just quoting the promises of God at you there right now. Trust him. Now, uh, Mother Teresa received many volunteers over the years, but one was a guy called John Kavanagh, and he was a brilliant ethicist, and he was taking time out from his, uh, his job. And uh, on the first day, Mother Teresa saw him as a newbie volunteer, and she came over, sidled up to him, and said, hey, I'm Mother Teresa, can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray for you for? And, and he was like, yes, bring it on. This is what I traveled 6,000 miles for the great Mother Teresa to pray and to prophesy over me. And, and, and he said, yes, please, can you pray that God gives me clarity for the next chapter of my life, and her indignant response shocked him. She said, no, I will not pray for clarity for you. Clarity is the last thing you are holding on to and you need to let go of. He's like, what? I mean, you, you got the great mother Teresa. It looks like you've got loads of clarity in your life. She said, I have never had clarity in my life. What I have had is trust. And so I'll pray for you that you trust him. Now, straight away, that's all of us, isn't it? Nailed. Genesis 12, when God speaks to Abraham, says, leave, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. But he doesn't show him up front. He has to leave the safety of Haran and journey with God. And then he receives the revelation of the next step. 
go and I will show you. Some of you, you are so insistent on embracing the status quo until you know exactly what's going to happen and you are missing out on the adventures of God. And he's calling you at the start of 2023 to embrace trust. Next one, obedience or disobedience. Verses uh, 14 to 16, I'll paraphrase them to save time. But basically, if you obey, things will go a whole lot better than if you disobey. And as Moses addressed the people of God, basically only two above the age of 20 actually entered the promised land because of their unbelief. So the stakes are high in terms of disobedience. And there's a direct correlation in the scriptures between obedience, love and obedience. We, know we, we sing these songs, we, we love Jesus, but Jesus said three times in John chapter 14, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he or she is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and he will make himself real to them. I love that verse. 1 John 5, 3, this is love to obey his commands. Jesus is our model, Philippians 2. He learned obedience to death, even death on the cross. So are we going to choose obedience or disobedience? It's, it's a difficult one because <coughs> obedience means submitting ourselves to a higher authority and, and not being Lord of our lives. And we love being Lord and in control of our own lives. He's saying, I want you to lay it down. Theologian Tozer said this, every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go or you'll just wait. And if you wait, you'll find that the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite as much. The next time it will move you less and the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. I don't know if you can relate to that. I can relate to that. Choosing disobedience on occasion. Back at university, shacking up with a girl who wasn't a follower of Jesus and just hardening my heart to the voice of God. It's a horrible place. Choose obedience this morning. What's he, what's he calling you to? Is it initiative in the office? Is it down the street? Is he calling us to reprioritize our, our finances? Is it a relationship that's completely not life-giving? Is our light under a bushel because we're actually ashamed functionally of, of, of Christ? And say, come on, don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. What does obedience look like for you? Because be assured that God will guide our steps and our stops, and you will learn more from five, min five minutes of obedience than from 10 years of study. And I think, if anything, our challenge above bar is, I mean, it's, e it's much easier to be biblically literate than biblically obedient. Amen? All right. Next one. Cynicism or action. Cynicism or action. Again, each time I'm looking at the Israelites, they're a cynical bunch, and, and they're so quick to be negative and tear things down and, and complain. And, you know, that's the Israelites. But if they had the gold medal, we Brits, I mean, we've probably got the... Silver, don't we? We're a cynical bunch, and that cynicism infuses the church as well. So I'm not going to say hands up the cynics in the house, but you know, some of you, you really need to, get, you need to get this bullet. Cynicism or action. Listen, I said cynicism or action, not cynicism or optimism, because the antidote to cynicism is not optimism. It's action that's born out of hope. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints, if, if, you, if you want to, if I want to sort of take two groups of people, cynics and saints, everyone else maybe is living between, in some delusional middle ground. But the cynics and saints are sort of realists in a sense, and the only difference between them is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. And hope's not a feeling, it's a decision. It's a decision based on Jesus risen from the dead. That we know there's hope. There's hope for grace down the toilet. There's hope for those mute ladies, there's hope for me, there's hope for you. And I'm preaching this one to myself. I've had so many sucker punches in which I should give up and not be hopeful, but I'm still hopeful because we know the end of the story. We know that God's still on his throne. And some of you, this morning, you need that bullet. Next one, urgency or apathy. And the, you know, the Israelites, well, I mean, they had sporadic bursts of urgency, didn't they? When 
Pharaoh was up their backsides in his crack, crack with his crack charioteers. You know, they, they legged it, but very quickly, actually, when things settled down, their default was sort of languid apathy. And I wonder this morning, brothers and sisters here at Above Bar, whether, if, how you would self-diagnose this morning, if we had a continuum of burning urgency for Jesus, sharing your faith on a regular basis this end, and sort of, you know, sort of lame, languid apathy that end. Where are we on that continuum? And please, I'm not saying you're there, but... But we want to be there, and we want to, we want to move along that continuum, don't we? And the, the, what Burundi gave me was that sense of urgency, because I regularly thought I'd die. Every weekend, pretty much. I think I'd die, particularly in 99 to 2003, when it was properly dangerous. And you might think, well, that's a horrible way to It's a brilliant way to live. Because if you think you're going to die next week, how would you live today? You wouldn't live like you're living right now. You would prioritize, you know, in wartime, you strategize, you prioritize things. You spend money differently. Your time is precious. You're not going to spend six hours binge-watching some box set. There's too much to live for. I was preaching on the Congolese border once, and the parable of the ten virgins. Remember that in Matthew 25? Those ten girls, all invited, all had a role to play. We're all invited. We've all got a role to play. But five just weren't ready. And when the belated wedding party came, they had to rush off and buy some more oil for their lamps. And those that were ready, they went in. Door shut, party time. That's a picture of the kingdom. The five late girls came back later, so knocked on the door, said, please, can we come in? They had this horrific pronouncement. I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Now, some of Jesus' parables are very nuanced and multi-layered. Others are seriously simple and not rocket science. This is one of the straightforward ones. What's he saying? I had three points. Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? Jesus is coming, nobody knows when, are you ready? Well, a whole bunch of people chose to get ready and rush forward, that's a sort of cultural custom out there. But a whole bunch of people, maybe back rowers said, nah, I'm going to sow my wild oats a while longer, Jesus is going to cramp my style, maybe next, maybe when I have a need, but I'm fine the way I am right now. Whatever, two days later, I was on my motorbike, I was heading towards that village, I stopped at a roadblock, and the military said to me, you cannot proceed any further, there's been a rebel attack from the from the Congo, and those people in the village were getting killed. And it hit me, as never before, the urgency of our message. Je on Sunday, two days before, Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you living ready? If, you, if you're ready, our job is to get other people ready. Uh, a friend of mine, he's been a missionary in China, and he came back, and he, um, it was like a confessional. He'd been back in England four days, and he didn't need to confess this, but he said, every day, Simon, in, in China, I do something to get myself arrested, i.e., he shares his faith. He says, I've been back in England four days, and I haven't done anything arrestable. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying he was on a mission with a sense of urgency, and it's very easy to slip back here. Have you done anything arrestable in the last month? Again, hear that in the right way. <laughs> Guys. We've got the good news. We've got great news. We're not better than anyone else. We are just better off because we know we're forgiven. We know where we're going. We don't need to feel guilt. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. It's wonderful. We've got the best message in the world. That's amazing grace. So urgency or apathy. That's for some of you. Okay, faith or fear. This is a biggie. I'm not a COVID denier at all. COVID was serious. But one thing that is, is very clear is that uh, the government did employ during COVID an army of of a behavioral psychologists to, to, to sow fear in us and, and manipulate our behavior because they wanted a certain course of action. And now coming out of COVID, our brains have been wired so extremely in a fear paradigm. There's so much fear in this nation. And I want to say to all of you, please hear, that's, that's not saying COVID isn't serious, but coming out of it, look, our birthright as Christians is faith. 
It's not fear. And we're, we're a nation shackled by fear, and the world is so fearful. And perfect love casts out fear. And I know that the one who's in me is greater than the one who's in the world, and we do not need to, need to be afraid. And 365 times in the scripture, God just gives us just one for every day. Doesn't it? Do not be afraid. Fear not. I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And, you know, it could be, it could be fear of COVID, but it could be financial fears. It could be fears of what people think of me, what my neighbors are going to say. It could be fears, uh, concerns of, I mean, concern is legitimate. Let's just say that. Concerns are good, but fears are wrong. And some, suddenly this morning, the Lord just, it's like you are shackled by fear. And he wants to break you free because that's your birthright. And hear that. That is your birthright to not live by fear. And that will be a very powerful demonstration we should be walking around not arrogant or cocky, but confident in, uh, in who we are in Christ and sharing that uh, from a place of faith, not fear. Next one. Comfort, the way of comfort or the way of the cross. Now, this is bringing it into the New Testament, isn't it? Uh, because clearly these guys in the passage didn't know the way of the cross, but they did know the way of comfort. And every culture in the history of the world has aspired in general uh, to comfort, pretty much. And so let's just acknowledge that. We like comfort. And I was reading the other day, comfort is the absolute enemy of spiritual growth. If you are comfortable, you're not going to press into God. No spiritual movement has ever thrived in a place of comfort, and yet that is pretty much our highest aspiration in the West, is to make things more comfortable. So we just, let's just acknowledge that. And I remember 2015, after 10 years of peace, when things kicked off again, and you know, our church, normally about 150 people, I had to go that Sunday morning as, as roadblocks were set up, and first tweets of dead bodies were coming through, and it was, it was objectively pretty scary. And I got there to the church, and only 30 of the 150 people were there, and then half a million people fled the country, and lots of people were killed, and it was, it was so grim, and lots of tears. And I remember writing a blog called The Curse of Comfort. And in it, I talked about the fact that we are called to be thermostats, not thermometers. Thermometers reflect the temperature of the environment. Thermostats set the temperature of the environment. And my most intimate corporate worship experiences in the West have been with the most obviously broken people. Tramps, alcoholics, teen challenge, druggies, whatever, because they don't have a fat mask on saying I'm okay or insisting on this veneer of I've got my life all together. And they're not better than us sophisticated people, nor are we better than them, but what they do have over us is they, they've been stripped of the mask of needing to lie about it. And in, his un, in their unpolished desperation, God is extremely close. And I want you to know this morning, whatever you're going through, God is extremely close. And we've got to be real. And I hope as a community that will be one of your values, authentic faith. Because where most lies told in the church on Sunday, in a week, it's church on Sunday morning. How are you doing? I'm fine. Most of us were not fine. I've actually had the worst two months of my 20, last 20 years in the last couple of months because of stuff, you know, bad choices by my, two of my three kids. It's been heartbreaking. I'm not going to fake it saying it's an easy ride. Do you know what I mean? We need to be real with each other. It's not comfortable. Do you remember that worship song by Matt Redman? Show me the way of the cross once again, denying myself for the love that I gain. Everything's changed now. Everything's you. It's time you had my whole life. Jesus, have it all. I've given like a beggar but lived like the rich. I've crafted myself a more comfortable cross. But what I'm called to is deeper than this. It's time you had my whole life. Jesus, have it all. So I resolve to give it all. Some things must die, some things must live. Not what can I gain, but what can I give? If much is required when much is received, then you can have my whole life. Jesus, have it all.
I wish you an uncomfortable year. Because you will grow. And maybe you need to smash that idol. And maybe the last two. And uh, these last two kind of, well, a, a very quick one, if you like. Another one, gratitude or grumbling. And the, the, the Israelites grumbled a lot, didn't they? The whole time. I mean, even manna. I would love to taste manna and quail, but within two days, they're like, oh, come on, Lord, give us a Big Mac or something. They're so quick to complain. And again, we are gold, if we're not, we've got probably gold medalists, this nation. What's our national pastime? Moaning. We are so good at complaining. And we are so blessed. We're the blessed people in the history of humanity. And some of you, you need to get that bullet. Because you, can, you come into the room and you suck the energy out of the room with your complaining. Now, we all know those people. If it's you, take that bullet. If it's not you, the, the point is that we can bring joy to the party. There's so much to celebrate. There's so much to be grateful for. And that's the biggest gift Bruni has given me, the gift of gratitude. Because when this guy came to kill me, he wrote me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. And he pitched up with a grenade to blow me up. That wasn't a fun experience, but it was one of the best experiences of my life. Why? Because for the first time in my life, I said, thank you, Lord, that I can see. I'd never thank the Lord that I could see. And we live in an entitlement culture where it's all about our rights, which is why we're so grumpy, because when we don't get what we want, it's the front to my divine right to happiness, fulfillment, contentment, etc. I can see I've got 10 of those things I turn in my house, clean, life-giving water comes out, unbelievable. Don't have to walk five miles with a jerry can on my head. I've, um, I can read and write, as one girl stood up at my youth camps and she confessed to sleeping with a priest to get three quid for her school fees. I don't condemn that girl at all. All of you precious sisters here, you'd probably have done that. Otherwise, you'd be illiterate in first grade. We just weren't forced to make such choices in this culture. We've got freedom in this nation to say Jesus is Lord. Talked talk about China already. But 350 million of, of our brothers and sisters don't have that freedom. Let's use that freedom. Not out of guilt, but out of gratitude. So when I'm tempted to self-pity or discouragement, I just go through the grace gifts of God in my life. In fact, I'll talk about that tonight if you want to come along. Different sermon, Romans 12. We'll look at that in more detail. Okay, last two. Okay, uh, Rules or relationship. So again, verses 16 to 18, it seems very transactional. Do this, and this will happen. Don't do this, and the consequences are grim. And, you know, amongst the massive umbrella of Christendom in the world, be it Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, Pentecostal, whatever, um, you, would, you, might, you might, let's say there's two and a half billion of us. Uh, and this morning, across the world, hundreds of millions would have gone into a church and they would articulate, if they were forced to, their faith is, I go to church and then God will accept me. And that's not a great reason to go. Now, hundreds more millions, they would articulate what sounds more plausible and sophisticated, which is the, the, the Old Testament was about law, the New Testament's about grace. The Old Testament was rules, the New Testament was relationship. And that sounds better, but uh -uh, it's still wrong. Listen, it was always relationship. So a few chapters earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 9, God says to these people. He says, don't think that I've chosen you because you're any better than anyone else. I just love you. In, uh, in Burundi, there's loads of domestic violence. And this one lady was in a horrific marriage. And basically, every, pretty much every night of their married life, her husband beat her up. Because what he would do is, before going to the work each morning, he'd write this long list of stuff that she had accomplished before he got back in the evening. And he'd come back in the evening, she'd work her butt off all day, but you know, wouldn't be able to get it all done. And, and back in, in the evening, he'd come in and tick, 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 and he'd, he'd beat her. That's horrific, isn't it? And I think we can say, praise God, he died. So she was released from that really dysfunctional, horrible, dark situation. And in the course of time, she actually met a lovely man 
who never laid a finger on her inappropriately, who nurtured her and encouraged her and coaxed her and affirmed her. And they, yeah, they fell in love and they got married. And a few months into their new married life, she thought, I'm just going to blitz the house. It needs, it needs a tidy up. I'm going to do as much as possible today. And so from dawn till dusk, whilst hubby was out at the office, uh, she was working on it, cleaning up everything. And just before he came back in the evening, she was just tidying up behind the sofa, and she pulled out a scrumpled piece of paper. Can you guess what it was? It was one of the old lists from the horrible ex, deceased husband. And with trembling hands, she opened it up, breaking herself. And then she started looking down the list, and... It's like ticking, ticking, ticking. And can you guess what? She'd done it all. What she had never been able to accomplish, shackled by the fear of impending judgment and condemnation, in the healthy context of a loving relationship, she'd done it all. And brothers and sisters, I, I don't think any of, us, any of us thinks that God is that extreme a caricature of the first one but I think we often do have a twisted view of God. And I want you to know that he just loves you. How much on the cross? And it's not about rules. It's, it's, it's the most beautiful, intimate relationship that he wants with each one of us, that he picked us out of the toilet, amazing grace. And so, rules of relationship, that's all of us. And then last one, so therefore, we can choose life. It comes in verse 15 and verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses before you that are set for you life and death, blessings and curse. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice, hold fast for them for the Lord will grant many years in the land he swore to his fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Choose life, choose life. And last story. It was an African village, two story house in this village and it burnt down and it was during the night, and there were screams as the family pretty much all got stuck upstairs, and they were burnt alive as people, other villagers came to try to rescue them. All of them died in the house, apart from somehow someone did manage to get in there and pluck out the baby boy. And the next morning, the whole village gathered around the sort of smoldering embers of that former house. And a heated discussion ensued, because basically, according to their worldview, the serious baraka, blessing, in this little boy uh, because he, the ancestral spirits preserved him. And so there was a sort of an argument about who would have the right to raise this baby boy. And so the witch doctor's like, this kid's got special psychic powers. Allow me to nurture them. But the chief of the village says, no, I'm the chief. I'm going to take him. The richest man said, well, hang on. I've got the financial means to provide him with the best education. The neighbor said, well, no. His father had an unpaid debt towards me, and I will take the baby boy in lieu of that payment. But then, this, this nobody, anybody, bottom of the social hierarchy bloke just stepped forward, but quite authoritatively said, no, the boy is mine. And they're like, who are you? We know you, but look, you're, you're nobody. What could possibly be your claim on this boy? And he didn't have to say much. He just opened his hands. And his hands were blistered and burnt and charred. And he said, the boy is mine 
because I saved him. And Jesus this morning, at the start of 2023, afresh, or maybe for the first time, if you're new to this, he says, you are mine because I saved you. I chose death that you might choose life. I became a curse. In the Old Testament, curse is the man that hangs on the tree. I became a curse so that you could walk in blessing. And so, brothers and sisters, what's your bullet and what are you going to do about it? Don't take them all. It would be too much. They've all got your name on it, but which one has really got your name on it? And maybe over lunch, discuss it if you're family, with mates, whatever. These are foundational choices to kick us off on the right tracks in the coming year. Amen? Do you want to stand? And let's pray. I invite you um, to shut your eyes and just, uh, why don't you, you don't have to do this, but um, it was St. Augustine, fourth century, he said, um, God gives where he finds empty hands. So I invite you just to open your hands right now. God gives where he finds empty hands. And, and, you know, some of our hands are just stuffed so full that it's hard to receive and we need to simplify. But as I look at my hands right now, Lord, it's a, it's, it's a place of humility, of submission. And Lord, we pray with the psalmist, with David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way and lead me in the way everlasting. And Lord, forgive me for where I've lived my life insisting on clarity when you just say, trust me. And Lord, forgive me for where I'm walking in disobedience. And this morning, I'm going to say, okay, I'm sorry, I choose to obey. And forgive me, Lord, for when cynicism creeps in and I choose action this morning, born out of hope. And oh, Father, move me along that continuum away from apathy into urgency. Now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. And Lord, I want to be free of the shackles of fear to embrace my birthright of living by faith. And Lord, forgive me for all my grumbling and complaining and moaning. And I choose gratitude. And Lord, I acknowledge how I'm totally wired for comfort and yet and forgive me if I choose to craft myself a more comfortable cross when you're calling to me to something so much deeper so Lord may we embrace the way of the cross and Lord we can only pray this because of your grace so thank you that it's not about relation about rules that it's all about relationship thank you Jesus I choose relationship and so this morning we choose life. Do your work in our lives, Lord God. In Jesus' name.